How long does it take to visit a faraway land, to bring a memory back in full color, to leap into the past or the future? With a good dime story, it can happen at the speed of just a few simple words. This is Dime Stories, your chance to go everywhere a story can take you in three minutes or less. Welcome to the Dime Stories Podcast. I'm Nicholas Thurkettle, author and regular at Dime Stories Orange County. And I'm Jennifer Simpson, director of Dime Stories International. Every month, writers gather at local Dime Stories chapters and share three-minute stories. Fiction or nonfiction, no guidelines, and one rule. Just three minutes to take us on a journey. The three favorite stories from each event are archived on our website, dimestories.org. And in this podcast, we're putting together some of the best of the best to share with you. Once, I had a temp job with a local sanitation department, serving on what they called the odor panel. I sat in a dull little room with a water cooler and magazines and about a dozen other people. It reminded me of getting called for jury duty, all that waiting. About three or four times a day, I had to go stick my nose in a giant machine and report whether I could detect a particular rubbery smell. Our supervisor gave us advice on how to sharpen our senses, to seek that aroma just on the threshold of awareness. He called it engaging your cognitive, I called it $12 an hour while I worked on my novel. To keep a planet of 7 billion people operating, some of those people can wind up in pretty peculiar jobs. And in this episode, we've put together three stories about some strange ones indeed. From our Orange County chapter, Louis Rodriguez brings us this story about how a fantasy job became a reality for him, revealing some mysteries and becoming in some ways a job like any other, but never completely losing its magic. This is Circus Came to Town. Circus Came to Town by Louis Rodriguez. I've always loved the circus, even though the clowns freaked me out. All the crazy high-wire acrobats, animal tricks, and insane stunts, usually involving cannons, that were all part of the act. Back in the day, kids would get mad at their parents and threaten them by saying, I'm going to run away and join the circus. Of course, nobody really ever did, so most parents would just meet your bluff and say, Sure, just remember to send us a postcard when you get there. And somehow I grew up without ever running away and forgot about the magic of the circus. Much later, when I had young children of my own, we were asked to volunteer for our local church carnival. My job was to work the dime toss booth, and my boss was a real carny who smelled like it too. He quickly showed me the ropes about this cheap glassware that everybody seemed to want so badly. I saw a can of Pam, the nonstick cooking spray, and asked Mr. Carney, what was it doing in our booth? He patiently explained that Pam got sprayed on the top of all the glassware so the dimes would just slide right off and very few people would ever win anything. Since I was an official Carney now, I started to spray away. But Mr. Carney got very angry and admonished me that we never use the spray at church carnivals, ever. Fast forward to one of my current jobs. I'm what's called a union stagehand. It's a cross between a high-class roadie and a well-paid Carney. We build and run Broadway plays, rock concerts, symphonies, and many other prestigious world-class live events. I recently got called into work on a special Cirque du Soleil Christmas show, complete with a full live symphony of 85 musicians. Okay, finally, here's my chance to get closer to an actual traveling circus. Because of my clown-like bald head, I was chosen as one of the two premier stagehands to go on stage and set up the various apparatuses that the performers would use during the actual show in front of thousands of paying guests. 
like a chunky magician's assistant, only uglier. I was instructed by my show boss, a real Russian clown, on every detail, what stage entrances to use, what cues, even what speed to exit at. I was explicitly told to keep a straight face on at all times. No smiling ever, because this is serious circus business. Little did I know that these instructions were all because I was going to be used as a human prop in the show to accomplish what we call the gag, a visual joke with me as its punchline. During my first stage walk off, the clown made fun of me like I wasn't moving fast enough, and this generated much laughter. As the night rolled on, the props and stages got massively bigger and heavier, and the clown must have had a change of heart, because now the audience was fervently cheering us on and clapping for us every time we came out. Now I'm a circus hero. I never get, did get to see what crazy pantomimes Ruski the Clown was doing behind my back. I was too busy keeping a solemn straight face. Dreams too come true. I'm actually getting paid for this, and I'm on stage as some of the finest acrobats in the world. Cirque du Soleil, wow. I finally got to join a real circus for two nights, and I didn't even have to run away. I'm sure looking forward to sending that postcard very soon. <laughs> Bad Louie's main method of expression is as a songwriter-performer playing a lively variety of three-minute songs up and down the California coast. After living on a small rock in the middle of the Pacific, the island vibe took a powerful hold and left him with a deep sense of Aloha musical style. Bad Louie has been a featured artist at the National Association of Music Merchants Showbooth for the past two years, and his dream is to sell a song to a big-time artist so he can fill in the royalties line in his tax return and not retire as an urban camper living in a van down by the river. Even stagehands can get their moment in the spotlight, while performers can show up in places that are far from a paying crowd. Efrain Villa of our Albuquerque chapter gives us a glimpse at the important world of fake disease in his story, Palpations for Fun and Profit. He adjusts his glasses and gets closer to the screen to watch as the young man grips her bare shoulder and slowly slides his other, his other hand up her waist. Inches from his face, her breasts heave up and down. In a barely audible voice, the young man groans, try deeper and slower. She sighs, I'm getting lightheaded. The young man wipes away sweat from his forehead and continues, how does that feel? Does it hurt? No, she says. He removes his hand, smiles, and nervously says, You can stop breathing deeply now. Your spleen feels fine. The man watching removes his glasses, shakes his head, and scribbles, spleen palpated on wrong side of the body. <laughs> Next to him, more than a dozen doctors sit in front of computers lined up in neat rows, their hands cupping headphones like operators at a NASA command center. A ding is heard through the intercom, followed by the announcement, Students, your time has ended. Please exit now. Moments later, all the monitors display empty exam rooms and everyone prepares to start the process all over again. This scenario plays itself out daily in medical schools across the globe. Actors willing to be prodded, poked, and groped by inexperienced shaky hands are brought in to train medical students in simulated doctor-patient scenarios. They are called standardized patients, and they are in high demand. There are standardized patient conferences, newsletters, and associations. Last week, I heard of a lady who was being flown out to Europe on a regular basis to have pseudo pap smears and breast exams performed. I doubt even Jenna Jameson's vagina gets that kind of professional <laughs> deference. I first heard of standardized patients about a year ago when I was looking for interesting ways in which to sell my body. I do not really have the stamina or drive for turning tricks. 
and my aversion to needles and chafing eliminates plasma and sperm donation options, respectively. Getting paid to act as a lunatic, manic depressive, or hypochondriac in the name of education while getting intimately touched by strangers seemed like a win-win proposition. <laughs> After a year, I can honestly say, I love my job. Today, my profile sheet says I'm playing a clinical depressed father of four with erectile dysfunction and acid reflux who was left by his lesbian wife. I do my best to channel my inner Jerry Springer guest. While I am fidgeting with my hospital gown, she enters and introduces herself as my student doctor. Each student has her own style. This one quickly decides to open with a whodunit approach. Where were you on the night the erectile dysfunction happened? I quickly run through a list of possible answers in my head, ranging from the dog pound to the McDonald's drive-thru, and then settle on in bed. I pause for dramatic effect and then continue. It was the night my wife left me. I bury my head in my hands, and the fun begins. I've known a few actors who have worked as standardized patients. Actors are trained in improvisation to always say yes to any suggestions they are given. I'm guessing they break this rule when an aspiring doctor starts asking questions. Efrain is a photographer, actor, and columnist whose self-described endless quest for randomness has led him to a mixed bag of careers, including tourism marketing director for the great state of New Mexico, role player in police de-escalation trainings, and blogger for aimlessvagabond.com. While not running his consulting firm in Albuquerque, he is busy devouring exotic foods and avoiding adulthood, usually in faraway countries. Also, he sometimes writes. Finally, we have a story that, like so many of my favorites, gets its power by appreciating the strange and sweet moments of ordinary life. Far from the headlines are people who aren't trying to save the whole world, but who are devoting themselves to those who need help with the daily activities that most of us take for granted. One of our San Diego contributors, Cheryl Sonstein, gives us Confessions of a Caregiver. Confessions of a Caregiver Some people were meant to do great things, to be teachers and scholars, to impart wisdom on future generations, to be doctors or scientists, to save lives, to make brilliant advances in science and technology. And some people, like myself, were meant to drive old people to the grocery store. Such is the life of a caregiver, and Grandma, I'll just call her Grandma, loves to go to the grocery store. I can't tell you how many times a week I'm at the college area Vons to buy two items at a time. I'm not sure if she forgets we were there the day before or she just needs something to do. Perhaps a bit of both. The plus side to these daily trips to Vons is I've developed a healthy flirtation with the college-age cashier who regales me with stories of his customers. Once a man came in and complained for five minutes because the Mission Super Soft tortillas weren't soft enough. He didn't want a refund or exchange, he just wanted to tell me about it for five minutes. I'm pretty sure this kid is jailbait for me, but it's nice to be reminded that one, I may not have the worst job in the world, and two, a healthy sense of both humor and sarcasm will serve you well at work. Thing is, Grandma can tell me some poignant stories. She told me when she was born in 1928, her mother was dying of tuberculosis and never got to hold her. It wasn't until years later when she had her own child and felt his cheek against hers 
that she realized how tragic it was that her mother never got to experience that feeling. And when she was a child and kids were talking about their parents, when she'd start to speak, they'd say, Oh, shut up. You don't even have a mother. Proving kids can be such dicks and some things you never forget, even when you're 87 years old. But these days, when we're not at Vaughn's, she just likes to watch the Weather Channel. What number is the Weather Channel, she asked me. 22. What number is the Weather Channel? 22. This goes on all day. The irony being, do you know what the weather is in San Diego 365 days a year? 70 degrees and sunny. Maybe it rains twice a year. And don't get me started on weekends when the Weather Channel shows dumb shows about prospecting or ice truckers instead of the local forecast every 10 minutes. Grandma gets mad. Where's the weather? I take care of an old man as well, but my company is thinking of dropping him as a client because he's the quintessential dirty old man, and some of my coworkers complained. I think they're lightweights. I mean, if you don't enjoy old men talking about their prostate and erectile issues, then why are you even in this business? I live for it. Anyway, Grandma's dementia is getting worse. She's wearing the same clothes every day and starting to smell. Something has to be done. Because some people are on this earth to serve a great purpose, and some of us are here to make sure an old lady takes a shower. Writing can take a little piece of a person and immortalize it in your mind. I know I'm not going to forget Grandma and her weather channel. Cheryl Sonstein is a Libra, originally from Ambler, Pennsylvania. She now makes her home in the Normal Heights neighborhood of San Diego, where she takes part in the many writing and storytelling opportunities offered by groups such as So Say We All, The Narrators, and San Diego Writers, Inc. A Dime Stories attendee since 2014, she is currently on the committee to ensure that this three-minute storytelling open mic continues and prospers. Dime Stories was founded by novelist Amy Wallen and is now managed by Jennifer Simpson. That's me. Dime Stories chapters meet every month in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Orange County, California, and San Diego, California. If you'd like to start a chapter in your town, write us through the contact page of our website, www.dimestories.org, where you can also find hundreds of Dime Stories archived, including the ones from this episode. If life is a series of moments, any of them could be a dime story. Get out there and tell yours. And thanks for listening.